All right, let me start you with a question here. The title of the message this morning is Life's Overlooked Priority and Strategy. Let me start you with a question from Mr. Sinclair Ferguson, that if you've not read anything from Sinclair, you may not get into heaven. He's required reading, I think. Read anything you can find by Sinclair, but this is a question he asks. What are the most important lessons the New Testament has to teach us about being a Christian? All right, start working up an answer in your mind. What are the most important lessons the New Testament has to teach us about being a Christian? Let me say this. That phrase, being a Christian, is, is a redefining phrase for every person. Listening to the stories of young people and many of who came to Christ later on in life, being a Christian became the defining thing about your life. More than anything else, being a Christian is the most defining factor of your life. So what's important from the New Testament about being a Christian? And I ask it from the New Testament because... All of us have a story here. We got introduced to the gospel through some kind of means, right? And, and, and most of us can remember those moments in that, that unique story. So let, let me ponder where you're coming from as you come to Christ, right? Your possible, I think I put in your outline there, your possible introductory thoughts. Was it this? Was your life filled with emptiness and dissatisfaction? Were you at that moment where... That's what you were experiencing. Emptiness, dissatisfaction. And you became aware Christianity brings fulfillment in life. That was introduced to you. Or maybe you have pondered that life is a passing vapor. And and whatever you accomplish, whatever you build and achieve in this life, it's going to be gone in a flash. And death is going to take all of it away from you. Listen, not everybody, even who are Christians in this room, have come to fully realize that. But some people come to realize that. And by God's grace, God awakens that. And that needs to get solved in our hearts. And salvation is what comes and solves that. How about this? Have you experienced the bitter disappointment of human relationships? Betrayal? Conflict? Hostility? Divorce? Rejection? You've, you've felt the scars that you weren't good enough for somebody in your life. And then the gospel came to you and introduced you to a God who would love you in whatever condition you are in, with whatever lacks you have, with whatever unattractiveness is in you, that you didn't have to measure up to be loved by this God. And the gospel attached itself to you in that moment. Or or maybe you're a person who's come in contact with the biblical thought, biblical thought that there is a God who owns the universe and everything created is going to be summoned to a day of judgment before that God. And that captures your attention. And you wonder, what, what will you say? What will you do on that day when you stand before that God and give an account for your life? 
Right, that's not made up by somebody. That's how God has revealed himself and how God has revealed that this is going to happen for each and every one of us. But what's interesting in this is that all of us individually come to Christ from some particular story, some particular moment, something becomes real to us, and it's not all the same story, is it? Certain things got awakened in us. And so, depending on where you've come from, depending on what you were seeking to be healed from, helped from, what made sense to you intellectually, what touched your life in its deficiency, how, what rescued you from the wounds that you had experienced, those things can be very real, and then you can join this thing called Christianity, and that can become your agenda. And a lot of that's not a problem. But let's answer the question here. Sinclair Ferguson goes on in his book, Maturity, to say, what are the most important lessons the New Testament has to teach us about being a Christian? Live for the glory of God is one of them. We'll talk a good bit about that. Live out and speak up about the gospel is another. But alongside these, we find that the writers of the New Testament had a deep-seated concern, listen, to see Christians grow to spiritual maturity. Paul tells us that this was a central goal in his ministry. He worked hard, quote, to present everyone mature in Christ. If you met Paul on the street and you had heard that he was this Christian guy who was going throughout the world and he was setting up churches and he would spend time with them and he would set up activities and ministry, and you ask Paul the question, Paul, why are you doing that? Paul, what are you up to here? His explanation would sound like this phrase from Colossians. I'm working hard to present everyone mature in Christ. If that was the concern of the first believers and one of the burdens of the teaching of the New Testament, it should be ours too. But it's easy to neglect our calling to grow up, to be mature Christians. Right? There is a priority and a strategy revealed in the scriptures. When you read the Bible, the New Testament in particular gives this away, but it's all over the Bible. This is not a random collection of cool phrases from which we can just draw quotes and grab them for moments in life that we're going to just use this like it's some kind of a quote book. And I like that. And I like that for this moment. And this makes me feel good right here. Now, this book is strategic. It has priorities in it. It's, it's trying to do something. And then it's calling us into that. I wrote out on your outline there. It says, it is completely normal that our personal path and experience sits very close to our priorities and pursuits in the Christian life. Whatever aspects of your personal experience helped you to come into the kingdom of God, these are undoubtedly influential in how you understand the practice of your faith. If you felt like something was lacking in your life, something was missing, something felt empty about your life. And I, I, that, that's my story. I mean, I came to a point as a young, young person, I was a teenager, but that's what life felt like for me. I mean, I can literally remember to this day laying in my bed as a young teenager and, and asking the question, is this it? 
Is there anything more, really? And it was my unique circumstances that led me to that moment. It wasn't terrible. I mean, you're a typical kid growing up in the suburbs. I'm well provided for. I'm going to a private school. I eat good meals and live a decent life. But I'm hanging out with older people. And those older people introduced me to a lifestyle. And some of that was like Bo was describing. It was a lifestyle of partying and drugs. And I uh, started down that road. And, you know, I'm not strung out. I'm not living off of, in, on the curb somewhere. And my family's kicked me out. I'm, I'm managing to kind of hide a lot of things and live in secrets. But I'm watching three people three years older and five years older than me. They're still doing exactly the same stuff I'm doing. And something, this is the grace of God because I'm not smart enough to figure this out. Something goes off in me and says, you still going to be doing this in five years? And for some reason, that just was like, huh, this is it? This is, this is what life's about? And that was an awakening for me. So for, for me, finding a sense of meaning and purpose is a massively important thing in terms of understanding the kingdom. Um, Some of you could be here, you've lived a life that's been characterized by rejection and hardship and abuse and people's own agendas at your expense. And that sense that your life doesn't matter and you've you've kind of figured out that you're an expendable thing. You're a commodity that people use up in your life. Can I just say, that that was not my experience. I don't have front row seats for that, but you might. So when you hear the gospel, you hear the solution to that. And you hear how it presents itself. And you hear God presented as the resource to save your soul in the category that's come to life for you. Uh, There are some people here. Martin Luther was this way. He recognized the holy justice of God. And and it almost drove him mad because he, he realized, I can't satisfy this God. I can't be good enough. I'm trying And I'm using all the techniques and all the religion I can get around, but I can't be good enough to face the judgment of this God. And and maybe you've got a personality like that. Maybe you're just always trying to achieve and satisfy and achieve and satisfy. And the gospel comes to you and then you become very aware of that. So personally, there's a dimension that in each of us, personal things come to life in us. Right? And, and Christianity, though, I want to say it this way. I put, wrote this phrase in your outline. I think I'm theologically okay here. Christianity is individually recognized, but it is corporately realized. Amen. I want to make sure we get that there is a, an individual aspect that the Bible's all for and all about. And you see that in the storylines of the people in scripture. When Jesus meets the woman at the well, she's got stuff going on in her world. Right? There are needs. There are experiences. She's on to her fifth husband. She's got a track record of pain and, and things failing and things hurting in her life. And she meets Jesus. And you remember the thing that she runs back to tell the, the, the town after she encounters this Jesus, she doesn't, she doesn't break open the Old Testament and explain something from Leviticus. She tells everybody, come and meet someone who told me everything about me. See, that's how God will reach into your story, your individual story, and find the realities of what sin has done on the scenes of your life as an individual. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. 
he's, he's a philosopher of Israel. He's a teacher. He thinks through stuff. Jesus meets him in that moment. Jesus introduces to him a concept called being born again. Jesus doesn't root around in Nicodemus' past, doesn't talk about, I don't know how many wives Nicodemus had. Jesus doesn't even talk about that with him. Doesn't bring up how people have done something or not done something in his life the way he did with the woman at the well. Jesus meets a man named Levi one day, this greedy guy who had set up a business to extort from people through collecting taxes. He was after something in life and Jesus reached into his world and it made sense to him. The thief at the cross in that moment where he knows it's all over right here. Eternity is at stake in my life. Jesus, I feel the weight of judgment coming upon me and I'm looking to you in that moment. You understand all these guys are telling a little bit different story, aren't they? And you and I are telling a different story as well. Now, here's what I want to rescue us from. One, let's not eliminate our individuality, but let's also not make our individuality make everybody else answer to it and God included. Because the one thing that happens with all these various stories, it's like they all... They get saved in their unique moment, but they all get on the same escalator that's traveling to the same destination, and it's going to get there the same way. That's what becomes characteristic of their lives. The many, many people with their many, many needs and their many, many stories and their many, many painful moments are going to all do one thing, and they're going to do it together. And today... In my opinion, this is the right starting place for us to talk about this thing called the church. Because you and I live in an age of hyper-individuality. We are being trained every day to feature and to make sense of our existence by starting here and making everything answer to this. Now, that's chaos, quite honestly. It is the chaos of why you see morality changing, why you see the world changing, why it's become so confusing to to live. Because we're not designed for this to be the one thing. There's too many of us. And we're all different. And we're all going to make life answer to my particular thing, your particular thing, my wife's particular thing, somebody else's particular thing. And that's not how we're wired. But... It is what the world's trying to normalize. That starts to feel normal. Of course, that's how you do it. Of course, everybody else should learn me and know me and grant me my own special territory that I'm trying to create. Because, see, this makes sense to me and I'm defining my existence out of what makes sense to me. Oh, and by the way... You need to define my existence out of what makes sense to me as well. And that's in our world. Charles Taylor, in his excellent book, Our Secular Age, he says, Our North Atlantic civilization has been undergoing a cultural revolution in recent decades. It is on one hand an individuating revolution. We now have a widespread expressive individualism. What is new is that this kind of self-orientation seems to have become a mass phenomenon. Everyone senses that something has changed. Often this is experienced as loss, breakup. Majority of Americans, listen, believe that communities, right, the gathered elements, are eroding. Families, neighborhoods, even the polity. They sense that people are less willing to 
participate, to do their bit, and they are less trusting of others. No, really? Do you find people less trusting of others, really? See, there's something that we're, we're so getting ingrown and in focus and bent in on ourselves. Anything that's outside of us that might be different that we kind of don't know how to read, don't know how to factor in. We don't trust that now. Uh, I mean, I suspect, don't you just suspect everybody? Isn't everybody got some kind of little side gig going on, some kind of side motive? That suspicion comes because we think everybody's into being an individual. Everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody's working everything for their own little piece of land. So we don't trust. The reality is in so many places that are communal, there is less participation today in communal things than there was two decades ago. You can see it all over the place. Pick an organization. There is less sense of, I'm a part of something outside of me, and a heightened sense of, I need to work life around me. Now, this, this is a cancer for the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ, as we'll see in a minute, is many things doing one thing. And once you lose that one thing, you lose the power of what God does in collecting us together into something. But, but don't, don't any of us think, well, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I was raised in a Christian. I read the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, listen, we, we, get, we get cancer in our body because there is stuff out there that finds its way in here either through the food you eat or you live next to a chemical plant or something happens around you, that that stuff out there finds its way in here. Nobody signs on for that, right? Nobody just, you know, stands out front of maybe some of us because we live out that way by the Norco refinery and just go, yeah, babe, I'll be home in a bit. I'm, I'm trying to get all of Norco I can. Um, But somehow we pick up on this stuff. Somehow it creeps its way into us. And next thing you know, you're being told by a doctor that you've got something foreign in you that has its own mind and it's doing its own thing. And they label that cancer. Can can I just tell you this individuality is like a cancer? And and if you come see me and I'll put my stethoscope on and play doctor with you, at some point we'll be able to root around and I'll be able to say... Can I just tell you there's something inside of you that you got from out there that's inside of you now and it's got its own mind and it's doing its own thing and it's called individuality. And you might be shocked, just like the person who's shocked to find out what I have cancer. You might be shocked to find out that these ideas are operating in you. They're operating in me. I know they are. I don't get to escape the influence of the world that I live in. That's why the Bible speaks to us because it needs to dislodge those things and needs to replace them, right? So look around, you know, here, here's, here's a world that you and I live in that, that's full of culture conflict. I can't think of a more conflicting time than we're experiencing. It's the war of individuality that's taking place. This individuality goes to war with power structures, there's, there's not much institutions out there or gatherings of people or, or, or institutions that hold authority that are, are not being attacked by society today. There, there's hardly none that aren't being attacked because what, what power structures do, whether it's a group of people, 
or, or whether it's an institution or it's something like the church, whatever it is, it is imposing its collective ideas on individuals. That's what it's doing. And that used to be a recognized function of government. You, you recognize government has to do that to be government. That used to be recognized that the church is supposed to be imposing ideas. We're supposed to do that. But today, that feels like, hey, man, don't put that on me. If it's not originating with me, don't put that on me. Make me feel guilty that I don't even buy into that. I don't see that that way. Oh, that's how you interpret that, right? What is that? That's hyper-individuality. Standing in the moment and saying, hey, I I don't do collective. I, I just do me. You answer to me. I don't answer to you, right? That's in the air. There is a hostility towards traditions and previously established ideas. That's why you have such a war taking place between those who have have held on to older ideas and the, the new collection of people are called progressives. I don't know, that term wasn't around a few years ago, was it? Now they're progressive. What are you doing? Well, we're making progress. We're moving on from a lot of stupid ideas that people had. So we're the progressive people. We are taking us to a better place. And progressive ideas, if you'll notice, and you traffic in some of them, they tend to answer to the individual. They tend to give everybody permission to be whatever it is that they would like to be, however, in whatever way they would like to be that. They can label themselves their own way, and then they will ask you to use the labels that they tell you to use. And they don't want old ideas imposed on them. They define authenticity as only being what is self-generated. You're not an authentic person. If the ideas that you're living out didn't source from you, that you let somebody else put that on you, you let somebody else's ideas become your ideas, there's a hostility that's there. This individuality doesn't do collective responsibility very well. It can stare at a place where there is a need collectively and ignore it because individuality doesn't answer to a collection. It tries to get the collection to answer to it. Right? This, is, this is the world that we are living in. But in the kingdom of God, there is both observable individuality, which I don't want, I don't want to squash that. I want to clarify that today. That is infused with a unified purpose. There is observable individuality, but it's infused with a unified purpose that's doing one thing. So let me hang on us today, this, this thought. I'll try and make this clear in where we're starting. Many things and one thing. Right? The Bible speaks to both of them. Many things and one thing. Right? Here's a great invitation that Jesus gives, and his invitation includes them both. Matthew 11, verse 28. It says, Come to me, all who, are lab- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right, so the Son of God comes as a man and makes a pronouncement to humanity with this invitation. 
And he calls out to humanity and says, come to me. Now, notice in this verse, and I've highlighted it in your outline there. Maybe the, I'm not sure it didn't make it up on the screen there. There is, there is a one thing dimension here, and there are many things recognized here. Jesus calls out to a crowd. Right? Do you remember, he, he looked out onto the crowds, and, and he saw people who were beat up by life. They were cast down. They were dejected. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their condition. And this passage picks it up as well. They are laboring, and they're heavy laden. Right? But if I look around the room and we let everybody tell their story, not everybody here is laboring the same way. Are you? Right? There's stuff that you're striving for. There's things you're trying to fix. There's burdens in life that you feel that make up your own personal story. And they may not be just like mine. And they may not be like anybody else's. Or they may be like a lot of people's here. You are burdened by certain things in your life. Jesus calls out to that crowd. He doesn't eliminate your individuality. He doesn't ignore your individuality. He recognizes that, that there's a way in which life is sitting on you. Right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we've got a lot of people here that you could look around and, and if you dug into their stories, they've been affected by the world that they've lived in. This is a fallen world, which means they were parented in a fallen way. On the scene with their mom and dad living with them, was sin and the devil. And brokenness, neediness on the inside of them. So you had this kind of unholy trinity thing happening, right? There's sin out there in the world. There is the devil who is active in this world. And then there's me with my own brokenness and my own neediness. You understand, I could start needing you to be something to me at a level that is beyond what you should be to me, right? And so then I'll just live chronically in disappointment because I needed my mom to be this, 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 and this. Okay, well, maybe that's legit and maybe it's not. Maybe you overneeded her. Maybe you're out of bounds. Maybe what you really needed was God to be God to you. And then you could just let your mom be your mom. Anybody told you that before? I don't mean to chase off on some counseling moment while all of us here. But, but do you realize sometimes when you displace God from the equation of life, you treat everything wrong. You, you try to draw things from it that they're not designed to give. So, you know, I, was, I had horrible parents. Um, maybe if you, um, you know, unpack that for me, maybe you did. Uh, but maybe you needed them in a way that only God could have ever been that to you. Maybe you tried to get something of their affirmation and their acceptance in a way that only God could give that to you. And, and you've never been able to fix that because you keep looking for human beings to be what only God can be. And so this is a, a broken dimension that's got all kinds of stories and Jesus calls out to that. Can I just tell us as a church, Jesus doesn't overlook the individuality of people and neither should we. There are people seated with you. There are people in your small groups that when they go to unpack their life, you don't get them. Don't, don't be a personal evangelist that tries to turn them into you. Right? You don't get why that's, that's really hard. And then you say something that's kind of like totally unsympathetic and, and advertises the fact that I don't get you. <laughs> uh, we don't have to get each other. We just, we just have to understand Jesus has called into this place. It's like a, this is like a hospital 
It's a rescue place. And there are some people sitting in here this morning who are bleeding out in a category that you've never lost an ounce of blood over. But for them, they're bleeding out here this morning. They're hurting in some category that you may or may not get. Don't you love the fact that the Savior called all those people into this place? Right, the stories of the guys who were in the baptismal tank and the life that they've already lived and the life that they're going to live. They're going to have their own individuality. And we need to make room for that. The church doesn't overlook individuality. But then God does something collectively as well with us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Now you have a bunch of people who are all one thing. Right? So you've got an identity that comes from a bunch of different places. But here the scriptures speak of all of us commonly. We all have one source of identity. Here we're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, all right, so the Bible doesn't close its eyes that there's many here. And they have unique stories as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither. Okay, here's the many. There's Jews, Greeks, slave, free, male, female. Right, now, if you fill in that from the time period in which this is written, slave and free, male and female. These are, these are all groups that either oppressed or did the oppressing or got oppressed. They hurt one another. They despise one another. And he grabs them and he says, you know what? Uh, you all come from backgrounds where people have not liked you and you've been abused and you've been mistreated, disrespected. That's all of you. And you've got a variety of that going on in your life. But then he absorbs them again. For you are now, now you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's this one thing, this one thing that God brings us into And if you're Christ, then you are all, one thing, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So the scriptures make clear that there is a variety among us. There's a bunch of different stories that are here. But this one thing here, it does not answer to your individual story. Does that make sense? None of us get to design the church around my personality the way I came to Jesus, the needs I recognize the most. Hey, Keith, can you preach over here? Why are you saying that? Which I'm cool with you saying that, but I just want you to understand why you're saying it. Because that's what's real to you. What came to life for you that brought the gospel to life is a hammer that told you you're you're a loser who's going to face God in judgment and you're going to hell, buddy. And for some reason, God used that To awaken your soul to need God who provides a savior. And you might be tempted to at least want 50% of the messages to sound like that. Because when that gets preached, that's when I get a comment from you that, man, that was the best message ever. Man, I don't think you've ever preached a better message. My first year or two of preaching, that was probably confusing for me. It just took me a while to figure out, I understand why you're saying that. Because then somebody else is going to hear a a message that's full of compassion. It it sounds more like the woman at the well. It sounds like you came alongside my need. You understood, man. You just understood what I'm going through. And that, that was so clear. That was the best message ever. Not a problem. Just a problem when we all try to turn each other into ourselves. 
right? There are certain things that when I hear somebody preach, I'm like, wow, that gets my attention. And there are other things that it's kind of, oh, okay, not bad, but all right. But then there's this one thing that God is doing in our midst that we need a greater value for. We need to value that there's this something else going on in a collective place that has extreme value and meaning for me as an individual. Wrote this in your outline. We must relearn the value of incorporating into our personal sense of well-being the contribution of being a part of something beyond ourselves. So we can't unwire from the collective thing that God does and think that individually we're going to be okay. Uh, We're not, because Christianity is individually recognized, but corporately realized. God does not overlook your individuality. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your height, your hair color, uh, the amount of hair you still have left for some of you. uh, All this was a God being intentional toward your life. Now, even the body of Christ descriptions that we find in the New Testament highlight individuality. Let me make sure, because I know I'm sounding like I'm stomping on individuality. We are all members of the body of Christ, one body. But the Holy Spirit has distributed gifts to us, go read, individually, just as he wills. Right? Romans 12 describes the body ministry, but then it also, in its language, it sounds like we are one body and individually members of it. So even when you come to Christ, you don't lose your individuality. There's still you as a unique person that God has made and designed and gifted and given strengths to and abilities to that he calls now into this setting to function as an individual who is part of something else. But I got to get, where's this something else thing going? Why does it exist? Because when Jesus calls out, he says, come to me. So wherever you are, you might be to the east, to the west, to the north. You might be wherever he calls everybody to do one thing. From wherever you are, leave where you are. Everybody's called to do that. Come, move from where you are to one location. This is why Christianity is not open to negotiation. It's not a body of ideas that, well, to me, oh, okay. Jesus didn't ask you to come to your version of him. He called you to come to him, come to me. So every human being is called to one destination. That's why Christianity is so correct to present itself is there is salvation in no one else. It is exclusive. And I know in the world of tolerance and plurality, that's not popular. But if you take Jesus at his word, he doesn't say, come wherever you'd like. Come to what appeals to you. You're all individuals. You're not going to all want the same savior. No, no. Come to me and then follow me. So the moment you and I respond to the gospel, we are all headed to one destination and then we're all following one person. We're a bunch of individuals who are all doing one thing together. Now, I want to take us through Colossians here for a moment. Try and do this quickly. Oh my gosh. We're having too much fun, aren't we? All right, this is an editing moment, so 
It's what happens when God saves too many people, isn't it? I mean, just... <laughs> All right. Hang with me just for this. I'll just use one of these verses. Uh, if I can. Man. All right, we'll come back to it. Uh, all right, so here's Colossians chapter 3. What's, what's this thing that's going on here? Right? I want to answer the question. I want to answer the question for us in terms of we, we, we've been entrusted with these new lives in Christ. Uh, they would be right to be asking, hey, Keith, what's going on around here? What are we doing around here? What are we about here? Well, that's the Apostle Paul in Colossians explaining, explaining his ministry and explaining the ministry of our togetherness in that book. Colossians 3, listen to this individuality. If then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, right, plural, so each one of you, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is why that question Sinclair Ferguson started with is so important. Your life is hidden somewhere. Where are you trying to find it right now? The world is trying to tell you to find it in here in your own individual uniqueness and expression. But the Bible's turning around and saying, your life, you want to look for it? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death. Now here's individual activity. Each one of us are called to do this as individuals. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Right, can I call this point A in our journey? This is, this is a point A moment. Things that characterize our lives at point A here are words like anger. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, lying to one another, right? At some point in your life, you're at point A, and that's what life sounds like as it comes out of you. And that's what you experience. And so you could be a Christian because this is instruction for Christians. And he's referencing, hey, your identity used to be just that. But it looks like some of you who have moved on from that haven't moved on from the behavior that goes with that. And so why don't you go to work on doing something about the anger that's in you, right? How many of you guys have been Christians for a long, don't raise your hands, I'm just kidding. You've been Christians for a long time, but you're just an angry person. I mean, come on, can I get an amen? Amen for the person that you know I'm talking about, even if it's not you. There, there is an operation of these things that go on in our lives, and the Bible breaks out this good news. Hey, you can move from here to over there. You can. You, you don't have to stay right here. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't stay right here. There, there are reasons why the anger, the slander, the temptation to lie, exaggerate the, the, the motives that are in you in all kinds of ways. There are reasons why that can go away. It's in this verse. Don't lie to one another, verse 9, seeing that you have 
put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Come back to that. Here, there's not Greek and Jew. All right, here's the identity issue. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, abused, not abused, powerful, not powerful, rich, poor. There's not that. There's not the stuff that's informing why you are the way you are. There's a lot of us who have had bad life experiences that become part of our identity that produce in us the life that we're living right now. And we should recognize that caringly in the body of Christ. Some people have got dents in them in ways that if you had gone through what they had gone through, you'd have those dents too. You would find it hard to behave this way versus to behave that way. Right? But something powerful is here. Here there's not those identity marks, but Christ is all and in all. There's a new identity here. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. All right, well, let's call this point B. This is a new way of living. It's a new set of attitudes. It's it's a new aroma that's coming from our lives. It doesn't sound like, smell like, or look like point A. It's point B. It's at a different location. And above all, verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Please note that and be thankful. All right, now here's my question before we read verse 16. How do we get from here to here? And I think all of us would would like to, in whatever category we got described in these passages, we would like to get from here to here. I would like that. There are desires in my heart. I, I don't want these things to characterize my life. And maybe some of them are diminished. I'd like for them to fully go away. And I'd like for this to become the characteristic of my life. How do I get that to happen? Verse 16, strategy. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Thank you, Kurt. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. How do I get from there to there? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. So, all right, so Paul, great to meet you. I hear you're going town to town. I hear you're preaching the gospel and you're standing up churches. Can I just ask you, what are you doing? Well, I'm I'm out to present every person mature in Christ, like, Location B, mature. Not location A. My goal, Paul, my strategy is to get people from here to here. How are you going to do that? Well, we're, we're gonna, well, first and primarily, we're going to get the word of God dwelling richly in people. Uh, how are you going to do that? We're going to teach. We're going to have meetings where people sit and are taught God's word. And we're going to seek to do that effectively. We might even have a children's ministry. Uh, we might have small groups. 
We might do all kinds of things. What are you trying to do? We're trying to get the word of God to dwell richly in people. Because that's the means from getting from here to here. And that's what the New Testament presents as a strategy. Now, many of us, we got goals in life. We want to become something. And some of these things are in the way of whatever it is. If there's pride that needs to be displaced by humility, that pride is in the way of everything you're about. An individual, a teenager, how you impress your friends, whether you're married, how you do your marriage, how you relate, how you do work, how you want everybody to see you, how you're dishonest because you're constantly manipulating people because you're a prideful individual. Wouldn't it be great if something could deal with that pride and make you a different person? Yes, it would. And I'm going to give you more reasons as to why that's more important than just your desire to be a better version of you. Although that's helpful. I want to get from here to there. How are you going to do that? Uh, I'm going to need, and this is where I don't get to read that other verse. I'm going to need the ministry that Paul described that he had, that he was creating a setting where the word of God could richly dwell because there was going to be effective teaching in place and there was going to be admonishing from one another's and there was going to be songs and hymns and spiritual songs. What is he describing right here? The church. He is describing the church. And the the passage I didn't get to read today because I took too long is Colossians chapter 1 where Paul describes Paul's means of maturity, which is what this is. When you move from point A to point B, you are growing in maturity. How many of you guys recognize when you get to point B, there'll be a point C? Do you recognize that? There's still more growing that we can do. But this is the strategy for this thing called the church. All right, so can we start here? So close us in prayer in just a second. If you met with the Apostle Paul and you walked into one of his churches and maybe you just got saved and you know, hey, what's going on around here? This would be Paul's answer. Well, we have set up a means for people to go from here to here. And, and by the way, for them to even get here, they're going to need to be reached into in the world and brought into the knowledge of the gospel so that they can even begin to mature in Christ. But our goal is to present every member mature in Christ. So we're, so we're not just a church that exists so that we can introduce people to accepting Jesus. We are here to present every member mature in Christ, we are on a journey together that goes from this place to that place. And there is a strategy here that is revealed in the New Testament. And as a pastor, I read looking for that strategy constantly. I know if you're not careful, the world will wire you to read the Bible as an individual, which is not completely wrong, by the way, because you are an individual. And God does know exactly how many hairs are in your head. And he knows exactly what kind of dents are in your life. And he loves you right where you are, the way you are. He knows you. And the Bible will speak to you individually. But the Bible speaks to us collectively, massively. There's this one thing. And this ain't the one thing. There's this one thing that God is doing. And the church is supposed to be the place where everything we do is designed for that one thing. To help folks become image bearers of the living God by going from point A to a mature place of point B. All right, I've run out of time. Ben, you don't need to come back up here, but everybody does need to stand up and let's pray together.
Lord, how thankful each one of us are that you invaded our individual story. God, I am so grateful that you invaded this teenager's life and poked around in the things that were broken and missing and empty and opened my eyes to the need that I would have for the rest of my life that only you could meet. And God, all over this room, there are individuals who have their own unique story of how you invaded the brokenness of their world. And you called them into this hospital where one thing could happen. They could follow Jesus into wholeness, into health, into joy, into the fruit of the Spirit, into bearing witness that God is on the scene transforming human lives, into image-bearing the glorious God who created all things. So Lord, each of us, each of us, say, Lord, thank you for pursuing each and every one of us with your purpose. God, now we are on a mission together. We are following Jesus. We're a bunch of people doing one thing. Lord, would you in the weeks to come, Lord, would you open our eyes to understand that one thing, to understand how you do that one thing, to understand the things that you have featured that help move all of us from point A to point B, Lord, to being a different version of the person that you have made me to be. Lord, more free than I've ever been. Lord, more eyes wide open to realities, more light in my life and less darkness, more invasion of the kingdom that is to come and less of this kingdom of this world. Lord, would you move all of us to take the next step? Lord, I just want to take one more step in maturity in being more like your son. Lord, that's what we're doing and following him. So Lord, help us in the days ahead that Lord, we know who we are together as a church. And Lord, we are to one another, all that we need to be for decades to come, for your glory and for each one of our good. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, can I just do this real quick? Guys, in, in, this is a moment where, where you, can, you can meet with God because God is showing you something in your life this morning. That's what preaching is for. It digs around in our hearts. If you got some dents in you, you got some struggles that you're facing that you would just like somebody to pray for you about, could you, could you just come find some of our prayer partners that are up here at the end of the service? Just come tell them, hey, can you just pray for me this way? This is what's going on. Or just share as much detail as you'd like to share. But if you have a need that you just need God to meet with you this morning, don't want you to walk out of here and not encounter some personal prayer that God wants to meet with you individually. So bless you guys. Hey, thank you guys for joining us live stream. We look forward one day to seeing you again back here and we will see you guys next week.